All right. Good morning again. I'm going to warn you up front. This morning is going to be a lot. All right. And I don't know how to do this passage any other way. It's going to be a lot. So um, I believe in you. More importantly, God believes in you. If he didn't believe in you, you wouldn't exist. God believes in you, and he also believes that you can receive his word uh, in the way that he brings us. So um, this is what I want you to do. I want you to turn to your, to your neighbor, and I want you to say, it's going to be a lot today, but you got this. <clears throat> all right, all right, all right. Now, I want you to turn to your neighbor. I want you to turn to your neighbor, and I want you to say, it's going to be a lot today. I got this. All right, go ahead. All right, thanks for agreeing with me. I appreciate it. All right, so uh, Daniel 5, strange story. Really strange story. Now, the book of Daniel, how it's laid out, is it's laid out in two halves. There's the first six chapters, which are what we've been covering. um, And then there's 7 through 12. Um, Anybody ever ventured a reading of 7 through 12? Fun stuff. Really, really, really fascinating, interesting, um, apocalyptical uh, prophecy. End of the world, you know, uh, the end of times, all sorts of stuff. Uh, I believe that our brother Mike, when he was preaching a couple weeks ago, Mike Gensler, when he was setting this series up, he, he talked about in the book of Daniel, we know of more fulfilled prophecies from the book of Daniel than any other uh, book in the Old Testament. And uh, those are all contained within chapters 7 through 12. So we aren't going to cover 7 through 12 in this series. Because um, when we finish Daniel, we're going to finish the narrative portion, the story portion of Daniel. We're going to go into Acts. Um, but I am going to cover a little bit of chapter 7 this morning. Because chapter 7 actually takes place before chapter 5. Um, because chapter 7 is a vision that Daniel receives before the events in the narrative portion of Daniel chapter 5. Does that make sense? So we're going to look at uh, chapter 7 this morning. We're also going to look at chapter 5, and we're also going to do some uh, setting up of the background of Daniel once again. All right, so this whole series is being framed by the, the verse in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Let's read it together. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. And this, this could be, yeah, sorry, Dave, I cut you off. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Good Sunday school teacher right there. That's how you learn. So this, this is like the outline of the story of Daniel. Because every single situation in his life, he's faced with what seems like an impossible choice. And time and time again, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they choose to submit their lives, even unto death, even if it leads to death, they choose to submit their lives and their worship to God. And then time and time again, God makes their paths straight. It's really beautiful, really beautiful to see this play out over and over again. So we're going to see this again this morning. Next slide. Please. Can you click the arrow? Sorry, the clicker is not working. Just click the, uh, yeah, there you go. All right. Daniel is, uh, Daniel means God is my judge. I talked about this a little bit last week. Um, we actually need God to judge us. 
there is no salvation apart from the judgment of God because what judgment means is separation. What, what we desire is that God would separate us, dark from light, sin from, from righteousness. Um, Jesus says, I came not into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. So ju- the judgment of God is different than the condemnation of God. Can you say that with me? The judgment of God is different than the condemnation of God. So we see this in Daniel's name. God is my judge. There's, there's this great joy that happens when we allow God to judge us. It's Psalm 139. Search me and know me, God. See if there's any way in me that's out of alignment with you. What, what the, the psalmist is praying is, God, judge me. Look at my life and see if there's anything out of, out of bounds, anything out of alignment, alignment with me. We, we desperately need that. So if you avoid God's judgment, you're avoiding his love. Because we know that, that, that God doesn't desire to condemn anyone. God desires that none should perish, but that all should be saved. And so we should actually hunger and thirst and look after God's judging work in our life, knowing that for the sons of God in Christ, it leads not to condemnation, but to life. There's a lot of concerned looks that I'm seeing right now. And that's okay. This, this is a lesson that I've been learning for like 10 years. And, and one of the hardest prayers that I've ever prayed was the first time I prayed, God, I pray you would be my judge. And that has been so life-giving in my life. Because it means everything in me is up for grabs to you, to you alone. Because you're my judge. So you can look at any situation in my life, God, and you have the right, because you're God, to tell me that was not the right way to speak to your wife. That was not the right way to discipline your children. Or, good job, do more of that. That's who I made you to be. That's God's judging work in, in our lives, and we, we need that, and he does that through his spirit. Tracking with me? All right, cool. Belshazzar, he's the new king, um, and his name means Bel protect the king. All right, and then just a little bit more background. There's this interesting parallel thing that happens in the narrative portion of Daniel. Chapter 1 and 4 kind of have similar themes. Chapter 2 and 5 and chapters 3 and 6 have similar themes. So in chapter 2, because we're looking at chapter 5, in Daniel chapter 2, that's when Nebuchadnezzar has the dream of the statue, uh, the head of gold and then silver and then bronze uh, bronze and then iron and then the feet of iron and clay. And they, they represent the different kingdoms that are coming. And Daniel is able to interpret that dream for Nebuchadnezzar. Um, and then in Daniel chapter 5, it's Belshazzar's, it's actually not his son, it's probably his grandson. But Daniel interprets the writing on the wall from this disembodied hand that shows up and starts writing on the wall, which we'll read. It's like the, uh, the Adams family hand, like, shows up and starts scratching on the wall. That'd stop our worship service. All right, next slide. Sorry, this is not working. All right. Scholars have asked for some time if Daniel 5 is historically accurate or trustworthy because in most of the records, there is no record of a king named Belshazzar. Um, so in most, most of the records in Babylon, the name Belshazzar does not, does not appear. And so for a long time, uh, scholars argued that that Daniel chapter 5 is complete fiction. It's just totally made up by someone who lived long after Daniel, and they just inserted a fake king in, into there. But in recent history, in the last 75 years, 
what they have found out is that Belshazzar was in fact a very real person. He was not the king. He was the king's son. And the king who was there was this guy named Nabonidus. And Nabonidus was extremely zealous for the moon god of Babylon to the point that he abdicated, essentially abdicated the throne and went and lived near the temple of the moon god about 500 miles away from Babylon and spent his life in this other city, 500 miles away from Babylon. And so in his long absences, in his place, his son Belshazzar reigned. Now the significance of this for you Bible nerds and scholars out there is really cool. Because it means that someone with first-hand knowledge of what was happening um, accurately recorded this story. Because this was lost to history. If this would have been written 200, 300 years later, um, when some scholars say that the book of Daniel was written, then there's no way they would have known about Belshazzar because that wasn't uh, discovered for another thousand and five hundred years. You, you, you tracking with me? And so this is actually intimate insider knowledge. It means that someone was actually there um, during these events to have this name and to know that this person was there. So um, I'll just read this. When Nebuchadnezzar died, a court official named Nabonidus rose to the throne. So this wasn't even uh, Nebuchadnezzar's son. And he ruled until the fall of Babylon to Persia. Scholars believe that Nabonidus married a daughter of Nebuchadnezzar and that Belshazzar was actually his son or Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. Nabonidus was extremely religious, worshiping especially the Babylonian moon god. For most of his reign, Nabonidus chose to rule from Tama in Arabia, about 500 miles away. During Nabonidus' long absences, it was Belshazzar who ruled in his place in Babylon. All right, that's a little historical background. And it also makes sense why Belshazzar offers Daniel what he offers him. Anybody know what he offers him? To interpret the writing on the wall? We'll get there. But he he offers him the third place in the kingdom. Why would he offer him the third place in the kingdom? Because he was second in the kingdom, which is pretty cool. All right. Yeah, leave it there. Awesome. Thinking ahead. So this is the statue in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Um, from chapter 2. And the head of gold, the uh, silver, the bronze, the iron, and then the clay and the iron. And what it represents, and we have the advantage of looking back in history, but we know that these kingdoms were Babylon, and then the Persians, and then the Greeks, and then the Romans, and then uh, the Holy Roman Empire, which was kind of a shadow of, of the Roman Empire afterwards. So it's really cool to look back and see how that played out exactly like the Lord had laid out hundreds of years beforehand. Is it working? No, it's not working? Okay, next slide. All right, now's where we go to Daniel 7. Daniel, sa- Daniel has a dream in chapter 7 that's related to this statue in chapter 2. All right, verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night and behold the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea and four great beasts came up out of the sea different from one another. So okay, he sees an ocean and he sees four beasts come out of the ocean. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then I looked at its wings. Its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man and the mind of a man was given to it. 
And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was, a to- it was told, arise, devour much flesh. After this, I looked and behold, another like a leopard with four wings on a bird and a bird on it of its back. And the beast had four heads and dominion was given to it. All right, really, really quickly. This is, this is cool. So the lion is the head of gold, which is Babylon. And then the a bear is the chest of silver, which is Persia. And then the leopard is Greece. Um, and who was the great Greek conqueror of the ancient world? Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great conquered the ancient Mediterranean world with a speed that no one in history had ever seen before. So the leopard is given speed. And then do you know what happened when Alexander died at a really young age? His kingdom was divided into four sections. This is like long before this happens. And so we see, we see God revealing this, uh, that this is going to happen. So um, verse 7, after this I saw in the night visions and behold a fourth beast terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. So this would be Rome. This beast isn't given an animal. It's just, Daniel calls it a beast. And if you Google Daniel chapter 7 images, there's some interesting pictures. <laughs> and a bunch of them have it as like a velociraptor, coming, <laughs> which I thought was funny. Okay. If you're going to choose that to be the beast. Verse 8, I considered the horns and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which the, three, the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes, like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. So this is a really strange, trippy vision. There's this horn coming out of this beast which has no description and the horn has a face on it and begins to speak. Like, so there's a moving face on a horn out of this beast. As I looked, thrones were placed. All right. As I looked, this is, this is one of the most profound um, prophecies about Christ. As I looked, thrones were placed and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. Does that remind you of any other descriptions you know about Jesus in the New Testament? Next slide. Revelation 1. Then I turned to see, this is the Apostle John, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with his long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Back to Daniel chapter 7. So Daniel is seeing Christ. He's seeing the Ancient of Days on his throne. Next slide. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him. And ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were open. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, 
the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. Who's the son of man? All right, what was Jesus' favorite nickname for himself? Son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him and to him, to the Son of Man, and to him was given dominion and glory, a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me, and the visions of my head alarm me, I guess so. That would have been very overwhelming. I approached one of those who stood there and I asked him the truth concerning all this. So Daniel doesn't know what's going on and he's asking this heavenly being what's happening. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. So Daniel chapter 7 takes place before Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5 is the end of Belshazzar's reign. Chapter 7 takes place in the first year. Daniel, through the dream of Nebuchadnezzar and through his own vision of the four beasts, is well aware that the kingdom of Babylon is about to end. And later in Daniel, um, he receives a vision in chapter 8 that specifically the Persians are about to conquer Babylon. So Daniel is not going to be surprised by anything that's going to be that what happens in this chapter. He's already in the know. God has already told Daniel what is going to happen. Um, I think it's in Amos the word of God says, the Lord does nothing without first revealing it to his friends, the prophets. The Lord does nothing without first revealing it to his friends, the prophets. Which is a really interesting, beautiful verse. And so Daniel has already received from his friend, the Lord, from that intimate relationship as Daniel has walked with him, knowledge of what's going to happen. Right before chapter 5, Persia has just defeated this guy's dad in battle. Nabonidus, and we know this from uh, other historians, Nabonidus has just lost a major battle to the Persians, and the Persians are descending upon Babylon. So why in the world does this guy throw a feast? The Persian army is advancing. His dad has just been overthrown. That leads us to verse 1, chapter 5. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousands. A lot of people here at this party. It's a big party. Bigger than a Morby party. It's a big party. Morby parties are great. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought. All right. So this is a pagan king holding a pagan party, and it says he tasted the wine. Uh, That's a nice English translation. The dude was drunk. He was inebriated. He cautioned to the wind. Um, He was drinking heavily. He was the, the the, the commander of the party. Now, why was he having this feast when their army had just suffered defeat? There's a couple different um, thoughts. One is perhaps he's assuming the kingship himself. 
because his dad has just been defeated. And so perhaps this is a coronation party that he's throwing for himself. Uh, another, another one might be that this was a regular festival and he's sort of showing the people of Babylon, all is good. We've got this under control. And so it's a normal festival and we're going to proceed with the party because it's a show of normalcy in the midst of the chaos. You know, you know how leaders like to do that? They like to pretend like everything's okay when it's not okay and, and throw a party when they should be doing something else, <laughs> probably. Um, and also Babylon... Um, had these walls, these famous walls that were so thick that they ran chariot races on top of the walls. So they, their parties took place, their, their like ancient sporting events took place on their walls. And I forget the, the footage, but they were wide enough that multiple chariots could be on top and race around the city. So these walls are massive. The river Euphrates runs through the city of Babylon, and they had enough food stockpiled to last for several years. So there could be something where he's like, we're going to settle back in for the siege, and we're good. We can wait this thing out. So Belshazzar, he tastes the wine, which means he gets drunk. And, and the thing, the, this party, and, and scholars and commentators agree on this, this, this party is, is likely descended to a place of, of out-of-control, orgy, drinking. This is the pagan chaos to the nth degree. So it's just madness. And as this king is inebriated, they're scared about what's going to happen. They're drinking their pain away, their sorrow away. He's getting freer and freer and less and less inhibited. And so what he does is when he tasted the wine, he commanded that the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. This is something he would have never done in his right mind even just for superstitious reasons. You don't, you don't use articles that are dedicated to a god for partying and drinking. You don't do that. And so he's inebriated and he's lost, he's lost his inhibition. And so he calls, not only just for any vessels, he calls for these dedicated vessels from the temple of God. His, Nebuchadnezzar, his grandfather, had destroyed the temple and taken all the treasures back to Babylon. And so he calls for those treasures and they start having their party out of these things that were used for worship for years and years and years back in, back in Jerusalem. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and concubines drank from them. Verse 4, they drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. They praised the idols. Immediately, in the midst of this chaotic experience where people are losing control and revelry and, and madness, immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed. This, listen to this description. It's so interesting. The king's color changed. His thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans and the astrologers, the king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. So he gets stone sober like that. The whole party 
comes to a crashing end. And it's not just him who sees the hand. They all see this hand. And all the revelry, all the madness, all the chaos, silence. They're all gazing at this hand writing in the wall. And it's writing words that are, that are in Aramaic, which they spoke, so they would know what the words meant, but for whatever reason, they couldn't understand the meaning of the words. So he calls in his wise men. He calls in all the enchanters, all, all the priests of Babylon, to interpret the writing, and they're unable to interpret it. And he was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and they were perplexed. The queen... Now, this is a different queen because we just read that all his wives and all his concubines were in there with him. This is probably his mom, Nebuchadnezzar's daughter. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, so she's not at the party. She hears about it. She hears about what happened. She came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Because of an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. So apparently, when we, when we last saw Daniel in chapter 4, he was the chief of all the magicians in the kingdom of Babylon. Now he's not. New regime, new people. Out with the old, in with the new. Daniel's probably semi-retired, and he's getting older now. He's probably close to 80 years old at this point. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you, that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and an excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read the writing and made known to me, make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretation and solve problems. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretations, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself. And give your rewards to another. Daniel's not being rude here. And, he, and he's, he's not trying to offend the king. What he's saying is that the wisdom of God is not for sale. Do you remember in the early church when, um, when the gospel went down to Samaria, but they didn't have the Holy Spirit yet? So Peter and John went down to Samaria and they prayed over them and the Spirit fell. And there was that Simon the Enchanter. That was there. And do you remember what he tried to do then? He, he went to Peter and he said, with money, he was a wealthy man, and he tried to give Peter money and say, give me this gift also, that I might pray over people and give them God's spirit. And Peter gives this, whew, Peter's rebuke to this man. Let none of us receive that rebuke. Son of the evil one, you are far from the wisdom in the kingdom of God. This is a path to death. God's spirit is not for sale. That is not how God works or operates. 
we can see Daniel in much the same posture. The king's trying to buy the wisdom of Daniel, trying to, uh, trying to entice him to interpret this form. Daniel's like, you keep your gifts for yourself. That's not how it works. That's not how God, God works. Nevertheless, he says, because God tells him to, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. When, whom he would, he killed. Whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. And whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up, and this is what we read about last week, his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly and he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. And there, there's a little bit of, a, of a, a, shadow, a hint in here that Daniel's saying, you're not half the man your, 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 your grandfather was and you think you're great and you aren't half the man he was and look what God did to him. He was drawn from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast and his dwelling was that with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven and he knew that the most high God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you and you, have, and, you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear, no. But the God in whom hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. Then, so, so Daniel says to him, you knew all this. So apparently Belshazzar knew what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. You knew this happened. You knew that this happened, and yet you did not worship God. You did not humble yourself to God. One of the things we talked about last week is whom, whoever humbles himself before the Lord, God lifts up. And whoever lifts himself up in the eyes of men and himself, God surely will humble. Then from his presence, Daniel says, the hand was sent and the writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mene, mene, tekel, and parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered your days the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tackle, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with purple. It's, I think it's interesting that he goes through with it. A chain of gold was put around his neck and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. So when Daniel is called into the throne room, he already knows exactly what's going to happen. God already told him. And so when this strange experience happens, he's able to deliver to Belshazzar the will of God and, and the voice of God. And it doesn't throw him off. He knows it's going to happen. Nothing's going to scare Daniel or, or push him off his position of walking with God. Now, as I was studying this week, and this is where I want to focus for the end of our time, and this, this is, I think, where the Lord would really have us learn this morning. So hopefully, I know this is a lot, hopefully you're tracking with me still. As I was studying this passage, I was drawn 
to Psalm 115, which talks about idols. Do you remember in multiple places in that story, it says, and they worshiped the gods of stone, of iron, of wood, of gold. And then Daniel says, those statues that you're worshiping, they they have eyes, but they don't see. And they have mouths, but they don't speak. And they have no knowledge. The living God, the one you're ignoring, is the one who speaks, and he's speaking now. So Psalm 115, and I have no idea. I, I don't think it's recorded who wrote Psalm 115. So I don't know, maybe this psalm hasn't even been written yet. Um, or maybe, maybe it's one that Daniel knew. Um, but listen to the words from this psalm. Yeah, there's no title on it. There's no heading like of the author or anything. It says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. This is the posture of all God's people throughout all the ages. Not to me, not to us, but to you. This is the true posture of followers of God, of Christians. Not to us, but to you. What did Nebuchadnezzar do? He stood up on his wall and looked down at his kingdom. And he, it, said, it says, and he answered, but he wasn't talking to anyone, so he's talking to himself. Who, who, who O king, is like you? There's no one like me. There's no one like me with the power, the authority that I have. To me be the glory and the honor. And God brings him low. Listen to the writer, not to us, God, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens, and he does anything that he pleases. That was the the description of Nebuchadnezzar. Whomever he wanted to kill, he killed. Whomever he wanted to live and lift up, he lifted up. But Daniel goes on to say, that power came from God. God does whatever he pleases. All right, this part especially. Their idols... Actually, can you go back real quick? Sorry. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Why should the nations say, where is their God? So the nations who, who are saying, where is their God? All right, next slide. They're the ones who are saying this. Their, their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak. They have eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear. Noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel. Feet but do not walk. And they do not make a sound or in their throats. And listen to me. Please listen to this. This is one of the most profound statements of spiritual warfare and um, idolatry in all of the scriptures. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. Let that sink in for a second. Those who make idols become the idols. And so does anyone who worships them. Now, I doubt if I visited your home, I would find any wooden statues that you bowed down to and sacrificed to. That's a relic of an ancient day. There are places in the world where that still happens, but I think very little in our culture at this time. We have every bit as much idols that we worship. <laughs> Anything that we give our worship to other than God is an idol, right? Right? Come on. This is like basic stuff, right? Anything that you worship that's other than God is an idol. So if you worship your career, that's an idol. If you worship sex, that's an idol. If you worship money, that's an idol. If you worship food, that's an idol. If you worship screens, that's an idol. If you worship sports, that's an idol. If you worship, if you worship another person, in relationship, that's an idol. Those who make them become like them. Think about that. What are the idols of our culture? 
and the idols of our society. Shout them out. We can prognosticate together. Our children? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, celebrities. Sports games, education, technology, autonomy, independence. Yes. What? Comfort. Oh my goodness, yes. Oh my goodness, yes. Those who make them become like them. What, what does every idol desire? Like true, like, like satanic idols. What, do they, what does it desire? What's that? It desires more. Exactly. How does an idol get more? How, how does a, a false idol get more? If it already has you, how does it get more? What does it want? It wants your kids. Why does worship of false gods lead to child sacrifice? Because the idol already has you. It doesn't care about you anymore. It wants your kids. And so what you are forced to do when you worship an idol is eventually, as it owns you, you are compelled to give your children to that same thing. This happens in the ancient world through child sacrifice, and God says, I loathe that kind of worship. I hate that kind of worship, God says. He hates it so much, he gives the, one of the greatest object lessons to it in history. Abraham, bring your son up to the mountain and sacrifice him to me. Abraham brings his son up to the mountain, and Abraham doesn't question because that's what all the gods do. The gods, the gods require you to sacrifice your children. He knows that. He understands that. He grew up a pagan, and so he brings his precious child up to the mountain, and the knife is raised, and God says, I'm not like that. And he offers a lamb. It's the only way Abraham could learn. That's the only way Abraham could learn that that's not how God works. Satan says two lies in the Garden of Eden. You tracking with me? I told you this is going to be a lot. Satan says two lies. To, he says a couple of things to Adam and Eve. He said, do you remember what he says to her? If you eat this, you will become like God and you shall not surely die. And every idol, when you first taste it, delivers on that promise. Every idol delivers on that promise. Think about alcohol for a second. And I, I, Jesus turned water into wine. I'm not, I have no issue. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the abuse of alcohol as an idol. Think about this for a second. If you struggle with social inhibition, like King Belshazzar, what's the best way to get over that? Get drunk. And when you drink... Your social ability goes up, your inhibition comes down, and you don't die. You, show, you feel like God. You feel like God. You have a God-like sense of power over a room. I can talk to anyone. I can make anyone see me or think I'm funny. The idol delivers on the promise. But what happens when alcohol is the only way that you know how to relate to people through it demands more and more of you while giving less and less in return. And when, you are, when, when those who truly become, like truly dependent on alcohol, like truly dependent on alcohol to live through the day, they wake up and begin sacrificing to that thing and they sacrifice to it throughout the day and they end sacrificing it. And their money goes out the door 
and usually their career goes out the door because the more that you worship an idol, the more it requires and the less it delivers. At first, bam, you feel like God and it delivers. And the more you engage that thing, the less it delivers, the more it demands, the more it becomes your God and the less that you exist. Now, alcohol is the perfect example of this because what have we found out about alcoholism? What does it do to our children? It's passed on. It's actually hereditary. Like, it's passed on to our children. If you have an alcoholic parent, you are far, far more likely. And not just because socially you saw it, but there's something spiritually, something physically that happens to you. An idol already has you. It doesn't care about you. It's wanted your death from the beginning. What it wants is your children. Now, what are the things that are idols in our society? We, we shouted them out. What would we not do as a society for comfort? To what end would we not go? This is a more complicated issue than just this. But think about abortion for a moment. With comfort. The more that we have worshipped the idol of comfort, just getting it our way, when we want it, how we want it, we have sacrificed millions of children at the altar of comfort. That's Molech. That is child sacrifice, church. Now, again, this, I, I, I'm very, I want to be very careful about using that issue because there, in, a, in an individual person who has had an abortion, there, there are complicating issues to that. It, it could be all sorts of reasons why that woman chose that. And so I'm not here to cast the first stone or judge anyone. I'm, I'm, I'm putting myself in this. I'm saying our culture, what do we do as a people to get comfort and of isolation and power. And the church has failed miserably at helping women who need help. So this is on us. I'm not, I'm not casting the stone at anyone in here. I'm, I'm just saying this is what idols do. Those who worship them become like them. Those who make them become like them, and so do all who worship them. That's just one tiny issue. I mean, we could go through our culture and go, bang, 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 here's how it works. Here's how it happens. Next slide. The Lord has remembered us. There's a little bit of a shift here, but track with me. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. Now, I've been your pastor for a little bit now. What does blessing mean? Stuff? No. What does blessing mean? His, his, his presence. And everything that comes with his presence. Those who make them become like them. So do all who worship them. They're dead. They have eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear. They have minds but do not know. Anyone who worships them becomes just like that. Dead. No ability to see. No ability to live. No ability to believe. No ability to have worship. 
the Lord remembered us, he will bless us. His presence to the house of Israel. His presence to the house of Aaron. His presence to anyone who fears him. His presence to those who are great and small. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. You and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. Okay, remember that promise that Satan says, if you eat this apple, you'll become like God and you won't die? Jesus says the same thing. If you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you shall become like God and you will never die. Have you ever connected that before? Isn't that wild? God's, Jesus says, all who hunger and thirst, come to me. Eat the flesh of the Son of Man. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. Do this whenever you do it in remembrance of me. Whoever eats this, unto, eats, this ha, eats and drinks eternal life in themselves. And you'll never die. Because the worship is going to that which is living, that which is alive. It is going to God. It is funneled towards the thing that it was made to be funneled towards. Next slide. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of the man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. The dead don't praise God. Those who worship idols become like them. They're dead. And they don't worship God because they're dead. They're dead. There's no life in them. They can't worship. They can't experience that for which God made them. But we, you and I, church, all those in the name of Jesus Christ who have been saved by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, but we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise God. Why? Why do we have the ability to praise the living God from this time forth and forevermore, even when our bodies go to the grave? Because we have feasted on the living God himself, Jesus Christ, and he has given us life in him that is eternal. And what true life is, what eternal life is, church, is being in the presence of God and worshiping. That is what it means to be alive. So if you want to be alive, you want to be alive? Back to the beginning. Tie a knot in this sucker. Let God judge you. Invite him to tell you what is an idol in your life. Because any idol that you have that you're worshiping, that is a path to death. Let God judge you and say, this is where you're struggling right now. DJ, you worship comfort, buddy. And you got to be real careful. DJ, you waste time. I want you to waste time on me. You know what that is. But you need people to help you. You need, you need other people to help you. And look at you and, and say, brother, sister, this is, this is what you're struggling with. This is, where, this is the, the path that's leading to death. All right, it's a lot. I don't, um, and I, I was saying this this morning, I've, I've said this before, it's helpful to know this. I don't preach applicationally. I'm not, I'm not all that concerned with you applying three of these things this week. What I'm concerned with is that your view of God gets bigger. Your, f- your view of the scriptures gets deeper. And that you invite the spirit of God to apply whatever he wants, however he wants, whenever he wants, wherever he wants. So here's your application, since you asked for one. Here's your application. Just please let God's spirit speak to you and point out where there's false worship. Please let God's spirit do that judging work in you that leads to life that separates darkness from light, goodness from evil. 
Righteousness from unrighteousness. Praise team, come on up. We're, we're going to sing, if we could, can we sing Wonderful, Merciful Savior instead of the last one? All right. We're going to sing, this is one of my favorite songs. I grew up singing it as a little kid, Wonderful, Merciful Savior. Let's just practice this together as the people of God, singing this beautiful song about the wonder and the majesty and the beauty and the goodness of our God. I want to pray. God, I just pray, Lord, that something would stick today. As I was getting ready this week, I, there was so many times where I was like, I, <laughs> it's going to have to be you, Lord, to tie this all together. So I, I, I don't know that it even fits nicely in my head, and I'm the one up here talking. And that's not, a, <laughs> that's not how I usually like to do this. And, and, but I, I would just pray humbly, God, God, that you would use your word, Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 5, Psalm 115, Revelation chapter 1. God, whatever it is from your word, uh, from Genesis chapter 3, whatever it is, God, that you desire to apply to people's lives through your spirit indwelling your people, through your people listening to you, God, I pray that we would be a body with ears. Jesus says, have ears to hear and eyes to see. An idol does not have ears or eyes. And those who worship them become like them, which means they don't have ears or eyes. But Jesus says, have ears and eyes to hear and see what God is saying and what God is doing. So church, in prayer and intercession, I'm asking today that you would have ears to hear and eyes to see what it is that God's saying and what he's doing. That you would allow him to judge you and lead you to life. That you would allow him to lead you to a place of feasting on the word of God and feasting on his presence, feasting on his blessing, feasting on Jesus at the foot of the cross. That you would lay it all down, that there would be nothing that you withhold from God. But you would be like Daniel. That we would be like Daniel and just be open to God. That he could lead us in whatever way he desires, into exile, into suffering, into whatever situation he wants, that we could walk in righteousness with God. Oh God, please let us be like that through your power, through your blessing, through your mercy, through your grace, through your forgiveness. You are so gracious and so good to us beyond what we can ask or imagine. God, so you have given to us through your Son and through your presence. We worship you, God. Lead us into worship of you, heartfelt, devoted, given to you with our minds, bodies, souls, God. Worship of the living God. Any idol we declare that is false, we, we declare it's false. May it fall at the feet of Jesus. We love you, God. We pray in your name. Let's sing together. Would you stand with me?